You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of the Dr. Tina Show, I am going solo. This is my 25th episode of the Dr. Tina Show, and I've been doing these weekly since we started back in the summer. And I have yet to tell you what I think is really going on. And I decided for this episode, since it is going to be the new year here in a few days, and I haven't been able to share this on Instagram or really anywhere else. And of course, this is going to be the truncated version. I wanted to share with you what I think is really going on, why I think Omicron is going to be the game changer in all of this and why. Why I think this is going to become a pandemic of the vaccinated and why I think that we have been lied to this entire time because of simply how this virus works. This virus is a coronavirus. It's in the subfamily of coronaviruses. There are four circulating coronaviruses going through human beings seasonally. Uh, It's not the same one every year. There's two alpha, two beta, and they will circulate and they give you the common cold. And when this all started, I knew how coronaviruses worked and I knew this was a coronavirus, so I figured it couldn't be that different. And yet this entire pandemic has been handled like we're dealing with some kind of alien species that no one knows what to do with. We have been denied early access to early care. We have been denied effective therapeutics that were cheap and inexpensive and helpful. Uh, you know, is it going to kill you? If it's not going to kill you, you might as well try it. And yet we've been denied that. This has become politicized. There was, looking back, I can see now that there was a very clear and concerted and organized effort to silence those of us who were trying to help. And much of it was coming from within our own professions and our own colleagues, which really makes me wonder what was going on. There were large accounts that were coming in and attacking us and slandering our names. Um, I've had some of these accounts looked into, and I know that these people were shills for the left. I'm not a political person. I am very much an independent. And I'm more of a libertarian than anything else. If you can look at a libertarian as someone who stands in the middle and just wants to be left alone. But unfortunately, that term has been demonized as being someone who's a white supremacist. So It doesn't matter what I say if people have made up their opinion, but what this pandemic has shown me is how completely incapable human beings are of critical thinking and how easily and completely and quickly they are brainwashed. I knew we were gone. I knew it was just gone after the first eight weeks because it only takes that long to hardwire the amygdala for fear. And those people who were so obsessed with what the what mainstream media was saying to them and with the fear they were getting their dopamine hits every single night, right? They, they couldn't help it. And so that happened so quickly. And I knew that we were in for a long, long, long haul. I don't think we're anywhere close from being done with this. I don't think it's the virus we have to worry about anymore. I think that something far more sinister and dark is happening. And I think it will continue to happen uh, because the plan has to play out. They are doubling down currently because their plan is not working. Unfortunately, this plan is not working. Just as I predicted, it would not work. Based on the information we had from prior coronavirus vaccine attempts, what we know about viruses, what we know about the human body, how this was handled, how it was mishandled, 
And there's so much I want to say, but I I'm, I don't want to keep taking up all the time on that. I want to get to it. I, I thought if I could explain how this virus works, and we knew this, I knew this from, from like month one, I had this all figured out. And I was trying to share it in bits and pieces, but I couldn't get a word in edgewise because people would lose their flipping minds on social media. People in my profession were losing their minds. They're still losing their minds. Uh, there was no logical discourse being allowed. All of us who knew what was going on and knew the truth were quite calm. We're all still standing together in unity on what our thoughts are. And they just slowly but surely silenced everybody for fear of everything, right? And I was in a very particular situation where my Income was no longer contingent on seeing patients. I had made sure of that. I saw this coming years ago, so I knew to get out of practice. And I thought, what the heck? You know, I know the truth. I'm, I will not be silenced. I will not be silenced. That's the bottom line. <laughs> because I just cannot tolerate injustice. And so I shared what I could share within the confines of what my audience could handle. But unfortunately, to be quite honest with you, the content on my Instagram account is base, it's basically uh, structured for a fifth grader. If I go anywhere above a fifth grade science level, I lose the bulk of my audience, which concerns me greatly. That's not to say I don't think my followers are smart, because they are, because the smart ones got on my email list, the even smarter ones as they could got joined my private membership, my Resiliency University membership, which I'm going to make available to you guys at the end of this, if you're interested, where I really break down behind a paywall, I break down what I think is going on. And the people that have been inside that group have a better understanding of what's going on in my head. The people on my email list have a pretty decent understanding. But even there, it's met with so much venom and vitriol that it just is quite honestly exhausting which I know is the whole point, right? They're trying to exhaust us to get us to shut up or scare us to get us to shut up. I'm not easily scared, but I do, I am a human being and I do succumb to exhaustion once in a while. But I'm going to put this in the podcast because I want to explain how this virus acts on the body. I thought maybe that way, if people understood the mechanism of action and what was happening, just again, kind of like a generalized smart fifth grade level, like I'm talking to a smart fifth grader. I think that they'll take better care of themselves. I can only hope. And so this is my this is my attempt to get people to take action because I firmly believe this is not going to end until people stop being so sickly that they end up in hospital. This virus, any version of this virus is not the killer that they've made it out to be. Human beings in 2020 were just generally way too sickly to handle it. That's my firm belief. I had it. You guys have heard my episode on it. Hopefully, if you haven't, go back a couple episodes and listen. It was gnarly in my household. It was gnarly on my husband. It was it was rough on me. I don't, I'm not underplaying this. I'm not saying that it's not totally gnarly for some, but human beings in general are too diabetic, too sickly, too malnourished, too hung up on big agriculture food, too hung up on processed foods worldwide that they're just simply unable to manage this. When I think that if this virus had hit human beings 50 or 100 years ago, it would have just blown through them and it would not have been the big deal that it currently is. I think that people got so deep into fear. We have studies showing that people who live in chronic fear have much poorer outcomes with this virus. And 
while the Omicron variant is showing itself to be less causing less morbidity and less mortality, meaning less sickness and death, I still think it's going to be problematic for some. I think it's going to be most notably problematic for those who've been vaccinated. So how do viruses act on the body? The viruses come into your body and they use your cells as their mechanical machinery to replicate. And so they bind the cell with a receptor. That's a lock and key mechanism. They bind your human cell. They gain entrance. They inject their RNA. They start using your cell as a manufacturing plant and you spew out a bunch of virus. The longer the virus is left unchecked in your body, the longer your immune system doesn't acknowledge it right away, the more viron you get, meaning higher viral titers. And as you've heard me say before, titers count. The higher the viral titer, the bigger the problem you have. Those who get sick from the virus, we we have seen, and I, you know, I was so villainized for saying this, and I still am. I get called. There's a naturopathic doctor who just can't shut her mouth about me. She's losing her mind all over social media. She loves to call me ableist and all kinds of things. It's so funny to me because sharing objective information is somehow now being attached to having some kind of evil agenda. It's very weird. In medical school, even just a few years ago, these conversations would have been allowed. The whole point of science is to have conversations. And when I share out who's most susceptible, I'm trying to help those people. I'm genuinely trying to give them like a, hey, heads up. No one else is telling you this. Heads up. You can do something about this. Heads up. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not pointing a finger. I'm not shaming anybody. But we know what we know. And in the early months of this, I was very villainized and called all kinds of horrific names. We now have the studies supporting literally every single thing I've predicted. Everything I've laid out has been has come to light via objective studies, whether they're in preprint or they're published. We now know that what I was saying from the get-go has absolutely come true. And I'm not happy about that. It's not a fun, told you so moment. But we know that those who are nutritionally depleted and obese and or obese and or inflamed, i.e. elderly folks, are the most susceptible. But why? Well, first, I want to tell you a story about Jon Snow. Jon Snow, uh, this was, he was a, I don't even think he was a physician. He was the one who figured out that the cholera outbreak in London was coming from a particular well. It was coming from a water source. And those in those days, they had not figured that out yet. And people were dying who were drinking from this water source. And he tracked them. He tracked them all over the city. I feel like he was an engineer or some kind of surveyor. He was not a doctor. I can't, I don't have the story exactly straight, but it's, I remember the name Jon Snow because who doesn't love Jon Snow from Game of Thrones? This is a different Jon Snow, of course. Anyway, he traced it back to the water well and he got so much shit from the people who drank out of that well because they wanted to shut the well down. He got so much pushback from the government and from the city. He was villainized. He was called names. On and on it went and he persisted and he finally figured it out because there was one person who was getting sick who didn't wasn't on the grid. They weren't within the, you know, geographical area of the well and he couldn't figure it out. They were in a different part of London. It turns out 
she was getting her water from her, one of her relatives who was getting it from that well. She liked the taste of that well better than the water supply where she lived in the city. And so she was getting it sent to her and she came down with cholera. And that was it. That was enough for him to have proof. And they shut the well down. Now, if he had not persisted with what the truth was and what he knew it to be, he had his hypothesis. He had some knowledge of what was going on. He tracked and traced and he got pushback, right? And so often this happens. Same happened with the physician who figured out that if you didn't wash your hands between delivering babies and dealing with cadavers, that you were spreading cadaver bacteria and nastiness over to these newborns and giving the moms fevers and the moms were dying and the babies were dying. But if you washed your hands, then you were okay. And he, that poor doctor went mad like, I think he had his license revoked or at least challenged multiple times, and he ended up going mad, but he was right. And so we persist, right? If nine times out of 10, we know something goes down a certain way in science, then that 10th time, there's a pretty high likelihood it's going to be similar. It may not be exact, but there's an old adage in medicine, when you hear hooves, you do not do not think of zebras, you think of horses, you think of what's the most obvious thing in your area that's going to have hooves. And in North America, that's going to be horses. You shouldn't be thinking zebras. Now, every once in a while, it's going to be a zebra, but generally not. And so when this coronavirus thing happened, everybody's like, oh my God, it's an alien zebra. And I'm like, no, it's still just a horse. Let's figure this out. All right. So I had a video that I, I put up right at the beginning of the pandemic on Instagram, and it went viral. And the funny part about that video is I had to post it eight times before Instagram would take it. It kept not posting, and it kept not posting, and it kept not posting. And I was actually trying to head out the door to go see my then boyfriend. And I was in a hurry because I had to make it out to the country before it got dark. And somehow that video uploaded right as I walked out the door. And by the time I got out there, I had 15,000 more followers, right? And I woke up the next day and I had like another 30,000. And so I decided to use my voice with the truth that I knew. And I've said this from the beginning, this is the truth as I know it. I'm not saying I'm 100% right. I'm just telling you what I think is going on. Based on my areas of expertise, my areas of study, my areas of interest, my own personal experiences with being sick with viral infections, long haulers, I'm just trying to share the common sense that I learned. I don't know why it is that people who literally sat in class with me and took the same board exams with me are fighting me on this. That part confuses me, and I don't know what to say about it, but this is how I know it. So the lock and key of how this virus gets into the human cell is the ACE2 receptor. The minute I heard that, I went, uh-oh, <laughs> this is bad because the ACE2 receptors are part of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, which has one job, and that job is to modulate your blood pressure. It utilizes different chemicals, namely renin, angiotensin, and aldosterone. These are coming from the kidneys. These are coming from the adrenal glands. This completely mitigates your pump system of your heart. And its whole job is to raise blood pressure when triggered. And when I heard ACE2 receptors, I was like, oh, no, because once that cardiopulmonary pump is disrupted and you know where ACE2 receptors are, which is the lungs, the kidneys, the vascular endothelium, meaning the inner lining of your vascular system, uh, it's also very plentiful in fat cells, and it 
raises, these ACE2 receptors raise in response to inflammation. And so they're protective. They're actually there to protect you and they elevate in the face of inflammation. And when I knew that, I was like, oh no. And in that video, I said, this virus has not seen North America yet. And boy, was I right. And I remember telling a few of my colleagues who have since turned on me what was going to happen. And they laughed at me. They told me I was crazy. They told me that was never going to happen. And I literally told them what the map was going to look like in the United States when this really got going. And lo and behold, it has matched up just as I predicted. And, uh, you know, I'm still the bad guy, right? (laughs) So the first accounts out of Wuhan and the first literature I could find was showing that elderly males, smokers, diabetics, and the obese were having the hardest time. I'm going to break this down a little bit. As you age, you become inflamed. It's called inflammaging. I did a post on it. People didn't seem to really read it or respond to it. I think it was over people's heads. I did one like first few weeks, I did a post on inflammaging. Inflammaging is the concept where as the older you get, the more inflamed you become. It's just a natural byproduct of aging. Of course, we can potentiate this by eating poorly, smoking, living a lifestyle for decades that's not conducive to longevity, promoting inflammation through our diet and lifestyle, um, gaining excess adipose and losing a ton of muscle. So like the first week out of the pandemic, I was like, lift weights, lift weights, lift weights. And people were saying, you're so ableist. And I was like, no, man, I'm trying to help you. The more muscle mass you have going into this, the better off you're going to be for so many reasons. And yet people just took it at face value as like, I was telling them to get buff, which seemed to make no sense, which I could see makes no sense, but it didn't matter how many, how much I tried to explain it. I was getting met with venom from not just the general public, but physicians. And I couldn't, I don't have time to explain all this shit just because they don't know how it works, right? <laughs> like like this, I, I can't give a medical uh, school education to people over Instagram and 400 character posts. So We knew out of Wuhan that smokers were having a problem. Of course, smoking is going to increase inflammation in the lungs, which is going to upregulate ACE2 receptors in the lungs, which is going to bind more virus, right? Boom. Diabetics. Diabetics have a really screwed up immune response. A good example is my entire practice was regenerative injection therapies. I would not inject diabetics because they don't heal and they have a higher risk, much higher risk for infection when you put a needle in their joint. So I made it a habit to not inject diabetics. That was my policy. Um, I didn't feel like it was worth the risk. And the treatments I were doing was doing were regenerative in nature. And that means you have to have a really healthy, intact immune system. And I didn't feel that was ethical. I just didn't think it was ethical to be treating obese and diabetic patients who not only had ran a higher risk of infection, but probably wouldn't even have much of a response to the therapies. And I found that to be a big ethical dilemma. Lots of my colleagues do it though. And then the obese patient is going to generally be diabetic. They're going to generally be inflamed and they have a plentiful of fat cells, which are high in ACE2 receptors. So therein lies the problem. I was trying to explain this as I was seeing the literature come out of Wuhan, and yet it still was being met with so much pushback. The health at every size community came down on me. Um, I was, it became politicized. I was called QAnon. I was acute. I had death threats come at me. Um, it just got really, really messy. And I was like, well, shit, this isn't worth sitting here trying to explain all this to people. Like I'm not here to try to explain this on Instagram. So that's when I created my private membership community called Resiliency University, where we have over 
you know, a year and almost a year and a half worth of monthly masterclasses where I've broken lots and lots of this down play by play. And it's really interesting to go back through those videos because it's basically me giving you a timeline of what's going to happen. And every single time it was boom, 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 boom. All right. One thing to note was 2019 was a pretty gentle year for the influenza virus worldwide. And so we had a lot of elderly folks still remaining on the planet that probably would have been wiped out by the flu the previous year. That's what the flu does. It This is what viruses do. And I don't have a better way of saying this, but I studied zoology and animal behaviorism before I got deep into medicine. And something I keenly understand is that viruses work to cull herds. That's kind of why they're here, I think, is they get rid of the sickly, the weak, and they take out the elderly, much like a predator would. And that's what viruses do. They cull herds. They clean them up and keep them intact to just the healthy. And some people want to assign emotion to that, but biologically, that's the best way systems should work. I mean, that's simply how biological systems run. And I'm not saying this as a really healthy person. I'm saying this as somebody who probably would have been called and I almost was several times in the past. So I'm not speaking from some high horse mountain of like, oh, I'm so perfect. I was that sick girl. I was that sick girl who when I was in college was told that, you know, one more good virus was going to take me out because I was already really, really, really sick with a virus that only impacts heavily um, HIV patients, and I was not HIV positive, And so they couldn't understand why I was so immunocompromised that I was getting hammered by cytomegalovirus. Anyway, back to the elderly folks. In science, this term, as distasteful as this is, the term is called dry kindling. Dry kindling is what the prior flu season or what a flu season would burn through right? Viruses don't want to kill their host. They simply want to potentiate themselves. They want to, especially these upper respiratory viruses, they like to live in the lungs. This is why Omicron is even more infectious is because it likes to live in the upper lungs and it's less deadly because it's not really going into the lower lungs as much. But when it's in the upper lungs, guess what? You're spewing it all over the place with aerosolized travel. And that's the other thing that nobody would talk about in the beginning with coronaviruses. We knew anyone who'd studied coronaviruses knew upper respiratory viruses like that are spread via aerosolization. And yet the CDC and everybody was coming out saying, oh no, it's just droplets. It's just droplets. And I'm like, no, dude, if you're in an elevator and you're talking and you're aerosolizing all over that elevator and someone else gets in five minutes after you and the air hasn't settled, which it probably hasn't, it's still there. That's not reason to go mask up and be more afraid, which everybody took it as. That's more reason to actually just accept that this there's no hiding from this. We're not going to hide. There's no human intervention that's going to stop this. The plexiglass barriers are a freaking joke. And the masks really aren't cutting it. And we are seeing study after study to show that the, it's just not cutting it. It's not doing what we hoped it would do. And so we had a lot of dry kindling left around in 2020 from the prior flu season. And so we had a lot of elderly folks that were available for a virus that was virulent to wipe out. I don't have a nicer way of saying it. That is the objective way of saying it. That is what it is. And it happened to be doubling down on obese, diabetic, inflamed people. And guess what North America is full of? I mean, quite frankly, the bulk of our country is either obese or overweight. And 88% of them are metabolically unsound, meaning they're sitting in some version of diabetes or prediabetes. So we're just, it's a freaking shit show is what it is. And if they would have doubled down 
if the public health departments would have doubled down on getting healthy, people maybe could have done something for themselves. But what pisses me off to no end is that this was never talked about. Not only was it never talked about, but information was coming out from all around the world in real time. During that time, I was reading it very early pandemic. I was reading about ivermectin. I was reading about hydroxychloroquine. I was reading about fluvoxamine, which we're just hearing about recently. We've known this from the start. I called my mom and said, hey, you know, somebody that we love who we were concerned about is actually on fluoxetine, which is Prozac. And I said, you know, they're protected to some degree, it's looking like in the studies because of the fluvoxamine, which is a very similar mechanism of action. So again, if nine times out of 10, something is showing to itself to be consistent, then the 10th one is probably going to have some relation to that, right? That's how science works. You have to keep your head level and you have to be like, all right, well, if A is A and B is B, then C must be close to being a C, right? These are the things we have to consider when we're doing science. This episode of The Dr. Tina Show is brought to you by my personal line of products that you can find inside my online store. We can all use a bit more resilience right now, so I bottled it. Resilience is an optimal adrenal support to promote energy and stamina. Resilience features a comprehensive blend of nutrients and botanical extracts targeted to support the body's responses to stress. It's designed to promote adrenal physiological functions by supporting the adaptogenic response to promote optimal energy production, stamina, and the management of everyday stressors. Adrenal glandular tissue sourced from Argentinian bovine to safeguard purity rounds out the ingredient profile. While I can't make any specific health claims, tell you how to dose it, or make individual health recommendations, I can tell you how they work. As always, check with your provider before beginning any supplement regimen. Listeners of The Dr. Tina Show can enjoy 10% off Resilience by using the code RESILIENCE10 over inside my store at store.drtina.com. That's D-R-T-Y-N-A. Again, head to store.drtina.com and use code RESILIENCE10 for 10% off. All right, so let's back up again. (laughs) We've got 2019 giving us a whole lot of dry kindling. So we have this massive die off of the elderly people in the world, all over the world when SARS-CoV-2 hits. It binds the ACE2 receptor, which is like, oh shit, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more here in a second. It's hitting, we know who it's hitting the hardest. Clearly, we know who it's hitting the hardest. Elderly males, the male part, what's that about? Uh, Androgens, high testosterone, it that can cause a lot of inflammation. And as men age and their testosterone are, let's put it this way, as they gain belly fat, that belly fat contains an enzyme called aromatase, which turns your testosterone into estrogen. It can lead to a more inflamed state in a male. It can lead to a more inflamed state in a female. Um, And then we've got the diabetes and the obesity to go with it. And so we know who we should be protecting. Clearly, if we had actually quarantine those folks and protected them and let this virus run its course, we would be through this. The reason we couldn't do that, well, aside from tyrannical government overreach, is because that's the bulk of our population, right? We can't can't have everybody stay home. And since the bulk of our population is at risk because they fit in those categories, we have a problem. But they didn't shut down fast food. They just shut down gyms, right? That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so back to ACE2 receptors. Think of this as your pipes and pressure system. And the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system is the, it's known as the RAS system, is your pipes and pressure system. 
And it's the whole goal is to increase blood pressure. It relies on the cardiovascular system and the kidneys to be in good working order. And ACE2 increases as a defense mechanism in, in inflamed tissues. And that's where the virus binds. Then there was the dreaded cytokine storm. That was one of the first things that people were talking about leading to um, the respiratory distress syndrome, right? So the acute respiratory distress syndrome. The cytokine storm was happening, and I talked about this on a prior podcast I did recently. Basically, it means the immune system is getting jacked up and it's going overboard, which it does very quickly and in sickly and inflame people. And I talked about this in detail in a past episode. It essentially melts the person. That's in its most severe form. That's what a cytokine storm does. It melts the person's organ systems down and turns them to goo. So it's not the virus killing the person. It's their immune systems killing them. And I want to be very clear about that. The virus doesn't want to kill its host. It wants to potentiate. It wants to spread. It wants to become more transmissible. And by doing so, viruses tend to become kinder and gentler. As they go through more human bodies, they take on more human characteristics, if you will, and they become more familiar to other human bodies, and they become kinder and gentler. Unfortunately, a virus going through an obese body becomes more virulent oftentimes and can actually cause more sickness in the lean counterpart. So that's a problem. And we had those studies from influenza. We knew that to be true in mice and humans. We also knew from prior to 2019 that obese, inflamed, elderly, malnourished folks don't seroconvert well, meaning no matter what you vaccinate them with, they don't respond well. We're seeing that in real time. That is currently happening. I kept trying to warn people and nobody wanted to listen to me. And I'm like, I don't care if you get vaccinated. I don't care if you don't get vaccinated. Just make sure you go into either healthy. That way your vaccine can work. And nobody wanted to hear that either. It was just Tina's an ableist. Tina's a racist. Tina's a white supremacist. Tina's all these horrible things. And it was like, okay, sorry for sharing science. I'm just trying to help people here. And that didn't seem to be a popular thing at the time. We were supposed to remain scared. And if you weren't scared and you were speaking logic, then you were the enemy. So the cytokine storm happens. And I talked about this in two episodes ago. Basically, the way this virus works is it comes on early like a ninja, it bypasses the natural killer cells, it inf- it creates autoantibodies to your interferon, which is your signal, that's the big signal that gets sent off to the rest of the immune system to rally in an organized fashion, and it infects your macrophages, which are your gobbler Pac-Man uh, white blood cells, and macrophages sort of do a seek and destroy. And when they find an invader, they go rogue and they uh, they can create a lot of havoc. And so this whole system needs to actually be working and well orchestrated for it to not be a total shit show. And yet SARS-CoV-2 comes in and builds autoantibodies against your interferon, bypasses your natural killer cells. Most people as they age and become more sickly have poor natural killer cell defenses anyway, and then it infects your macrophages and makes them go rogue. So that's a mess. It also infects fat cells and it causes pre-adipocytes to go rogue and become pro-inflammatory. So poof, the cytokine storm begins several days into the illness because the body didn't recognize the virus early on when it should have. And by the time it's figured out it's been invaded and that there's invaders in the castle, it goes berserkers and it creates a cytokine storm. And that's just a fuck all mess. So that's what was going on in my head. (laughs) When I, the first night I stayed up all night and I read everything I could about this and all the studies coming out of Wuhan, it had just hit Kirkland. And I was, it was right before I did that video that went viral. And I thought, 
fuck, this is a mess. It basically blows out your pressure system and it melts your organ systems via the cytokine storm while it's doing its ninja bypassing of your immune system that later causes it to go bonkers and not really catch up. And the whole thing just made me very concerned. And that's what I was trying to express early on. I think some of you got it. (laughs) I think some of you ones that were there hanging in there with me while I was trying to explain this without freaking everyone out. I mean, I couldn't say the sky was blue without people attacking me at that point. And so I, it's, it's calmed down a bit now, but not, not, not terribly much. So it's a pretty horrid virus, right? But wait, here, here's this. What did I just say? This is all assuming, this is all assuming that the virus kills you. It doesn't, it's your immune system not working right. That is what's killing people. And your immune system quickly, I believe, goes autoimmune and begins to cause a lot of problems in the endothelium in the vascular system. I think at the end of the day, SARS-CoV-2 is an autoimmune um, endothelial problem, vascular endothelial problem. I think that's at the end of the day why it becomes so deadly for some. And some people, if you go listen to the episode I did two episodes ago, so that would be episode 23, I talked about this, why some people get sicker than others. And it's not all because of your lifestyle. Some of it's to do with prior exposure history to coronaviruses. Part of it's to do with autoimmune disease, propensity, and other things. So yeah, this is a pretty gnarly virus. This worst case scenario, though, if you get COVID and you're going to die narrative that people, I mean, it's ridiculous. People, when I tell people I had COVID and survived, they're like, you didn't end up in the hospital. I mean, they're really convinced. And whenever anyone says that, I'm like, wow, you watch a lot of news, which immediately makes me not trust them or think that they're intelligent. Anyone who watches the news every day is questionable, (laughs) in my opinion. I don't talk to people like that. I don't hang out with people like that. Uh, if If you know, if you can't see that you're getting propaganda force fed down your throat, then we can't be friends. So this certain death narrative assumes that someone is a hot mess of health. Healthy people who were metabolically sound were not really having any big issues. And even someone like me, I mean, I, I barreled through it in the first five days. I'm wondering now, looking back, I took all the drugs that are not, we're not allowed to talk about. I took all of them. And I'm wondering if I didn't just have a reaction because when you put an anti- uh, parasitic drug into somebody at high doses, it can cause a lot of, I mean, you're, you're bas- you know, drugs are drugs. They're never my favorite thing to do, especially at high doses. So combo that with uh, hydroxychloroquine and with a pack, and, you know, you're potentially killing off a lot of things inside the host body and that can cause what's called a Herxheimer reaction. So part of why I think I was laying on the couch having fevers and feeling so awful was I was not only mildly poisoning myself with pharmaceuticals, because all pharmaceuticals are somewhat poisonous, but I was probably killing off some parasites and some other things in my gut, which was making me feel pretty sickly as I was processing that. So who knows how much of it was COVID and how much of it was just a reaction to like the handfuls and handfuls and handfuls of pills, along with tons of supplements that don't make you feel so good all the time either. So, but either way, it hits everybody differently. And we all have our reasons for that. It's it's not a thing to be ashamed of. I think if you're actively doing everything you can to get your lifestyle in order, then, and you're lifting weights and you're sleeping well, and you're eating nutritionally most of the time, and you're not hogging it out on alcohol and on junk food all the time, then in sugar, refined sugar, which everybody seems to be totally addicted to, then 
you should be okay. That's what we were seeing, right? Metabolically pe- sound people were really having no big issues at all. So what about healthy people? Everyone came, well, what about the healthy people who are dying? My friend was a marathon runner in his 40s. Well, marathon running is pretty oxidative. So anything that's going to be highly oxidative to your system is probably not a good idea. We knew that pretty early on, right? If it's attacking the endothelium of the vascular system, we don't want to inflame that and piss it off. So anything that you do to excess overtraining of any kind is going to put you in an oxidative state. That goes for orange theory. That goes for anything that, you know, boot camp style stuff that makes you just pour out sweat all over the floor. You're taxing your system and a tax system doesn't do great with viral infections, especially gnarly viral infections. And then there was that young bodybuilder who was, who died or or lost a ton of weight and became emaciated. Well, we know that many viruses can be wasting, right? They're catabolic. They chew up your tissues. COVID completely ate my butt. I mean, I had a pretty healthy sized butt and now it's gone. (laughs) So, and I'm building it back. It ate all the muscle off my butt. It took 20 pounds off my husband in no time flat. It's a wasting disease. We've recovered pretty quickly, but this, this bodybuilder, I remember early on, they were like, oh, he, he got he's so sickly. And then every picture you saw of him, he was eating McDonald's or drinking Coca-Cola. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, he eats like complete shit. So of course, he's going to be inflamed. And so this is what this silly narrative, people want things to be so clearly defined black or white, it's got to be clear, or else it, it just has to be one way or another. That's just not how science works. It's shades of gray. So you could physically look very fit, but be incredibly incredibly inflamed for various reasons, whether it's your diet, lack of sleep, disrupted hormones, um, overtraining, doing highly oxidative and metabolically taxing things like running, cycling, boot camp, whatever. The other thing that got me going about this virus that made me go, hmm, something is not adding up was that early on, we were hearing about this furin cleavage site, which was one of the, it's, one of the mechanisms of how it gets in the cell. And to my knowledge, there are not furin cleavage sites on any coronaviruses that are naturally occurring. So that's weird. And then there's the entire electrical system of the body. When the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system gets out of whack, you don't resorb your sodium at the distal tubules of your kidneys, meaning you pee out your sodium. If you don't have enough aldosterone, you pee out your salt. And so people who have problems with their adrenal glands will sometimes be low in aldosterone. I've seen this clinically and they end up just dumping all their sodium all the time. They sweat out all over everything. They sweat out all over your table when you treat them and they tend to be shaky. They tend to be anxious. They tend to just have a lot of uh, fatigue issues. And often that can be attributed to this low aldosterone and that because the aldosterone is made in the adrenal glands, it goes to the kidneys, it keeps the distal tubules of the kidneys from peeing out all your sodium, it helps you retain and reabsorb your sodium there. Well, if you're peeing out all your sodium, and all your cells of your body run on your uh, sodium potassium pump, I mean, pretty much everything is contingent on the sodium potassium pump. Now your entire electrical systems blown. So the virus comes in and it blows out the pressure and pump system it blows out the electrical system and it causes massive inflammation in pretty critical areas like the cardiovascular system and the lungs. And it causes cytokines or can potentiate in an unhealthy body, a cytokine storm and that cytokine storm eventually starts to melt its person. 
Remember I said it infects macrophages, which are the Pac-Man gobbler white blood cells. Those macrophages start to get glommed up in places. So they end up in your kidneys. They end up in your lungs. They end up just kind of dying off and they're big. And so now the body is trying to clean that up. And in that cleanup, you get more of a chemical nightmare happening because that process is somewhat inflammatory. So by the time the body figures out what's going on, you've got a bunch of dead soldiers laying around and the body's trying to clean up the dead soldiers. But that can be very inflammation bringing and very much a, a bit of a problem for the host. And then there's your HPA axis, your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. That is so contingent on all of these other things working. And it secretes, it part of it, this is again, the fifth grade level, part of this it secretes cortisol. And cortisol is so critically important to mitigating inflammation. It's probably the only anti-inflammatory molecule you have in your body that's worth a damn. This is why when you take prednisone, your inflammation goes down very quickly. Cortisol is potentially not being handled correctly during this whole crisis. And if you ask an ER doctor, they'll tell you they always have cortisol on their crash cart or cortisone, I should say, uh, or some form of it. Because if a patient starts to crash and you pump them full of this, they'll usually recalibrate. It's that critical to the system. And so that system's getting all jacked up. Let's add another level of problem to this endocrine system sort of failure. The virus attacks the pancreas. The pancreas is responsible for modulating blood sugar. Remember I said diabetics are having a hard time. That's because gnarly viruses do this, but this one also, we know this one does it. It comes in and it actually puts you in a transient diabetic state. So it elevates your blood sugars because it's your body's trying to fight and it needs all the help it can get. And so it puts you in a transient diabetic state. Unfortunately for diabetics, whether they're type one or type two, it doesn't matter. Anybody who's got sort of a brittle blood sugar, I will say. So the type ones don't get upset because sometimes it's always, there's like a mama of a type one and she, she always flips out. I mean, it, it could be one of a hundred. They always flip out whenever I talk about this because they don't think I understand how type one works. I do very clearly understand how it works. If your pancreas is being attacked and your blood sugar is being all jacked up because of the battle that the body is ensuing, it's very difficult for blood sugar to remain regulated, especially in somebody who's already dealing with sort of a brittle blood sugar situation. So unless somebody is like very metabolically balanced, regardless of what kind of diabetes they have, and by the way, type two is completely a lifestyle diabetes. It's an induced by lifestyle situation. It is, there's really, I mean, yes, statin drugs can potentiate it and some other things, but bottom line is it very much comes down to how people eat, sleep, and exercise and live their lives. So now we've got somebody going into a further diabetic situation, which really starts to create a lot of havoc inside the body. And so the whole thing is happening in real time. And the bottom line is everything kind of turns on into a fire, if you will. That's the real quick and dirty of it. And the whole while of the early part of that viral replication and titers are going through the roof because the body doesn't even know that there's an invader in the castle. And by the time it catches up, all these other states are happening. The diabetic state, the, the, the electrical systems getting fritzy, the pump systems getting fritzy, and boom. To add insult to injury, my experience, and I have since paid attention and asked everybody, within two days, my brain was gone. And that's very concerning. When a virus comes in and hits you and you lose capacity to think well, you start to make very poor decisions. The problem with that is in the animal 
animal world and zoology, uh, an animal will go off to curl up under a bush or under a tree or in a cave, and it will try to hunker it out. If it's not making good decisions, it's probably going to get eaten or something bad's going to happen to it, right? And you just don't make good decisions from early on, which is a bad place to be when you're really sick. You don't really know how sick you are at that point. The apathy was real. The apathy that my husband experienced was my most concerning, the most concerning symptom he had was because I couldn't get him to take anything seriously because he was just in a delirium and he was sick and he was very apathetic. It's a dangerous place to be when you're sick. And then there's the way we handle fevers in this country. Fevers are your friend. Fevers are there to burn the enemy out. And we don't want them to get too high. But truly, I mean, you know, of course, ask your physician because, and sadly, most physicians think they should quelch a fever with Tylenol too, which is the exact opposite of what I believe anybody should do. So what's a safe fever? For kids, they really can rock it out. Ask your pediatrician. but And that seems to be appreciated in the pediatric world. But in the adult world, it's like, oh, we just want you to be comfortable. Here's your ibuprofen. Here's your um, Tylenol. Just make sure you catch that fever and, and knock it out. And it's like, no, man, you need that fever. I'm, I get stoked when I get a fever. I used to be so sickly, I could not mount a fever. Talk about sickly. When you don't mount a fever for 15 years, and then you learn how important fevers are, you become concerned. But I am grateful to say that I'm healthy enough to be able to mount a fever now. So when I do, I rock it out. I wear a hat, a scarf. I did a whole episode on what I do when I'm when I'm sick or when, how I dealt with COVID too. And you can go back and listen to that. But I really, really rock that fever out and I roll with it. And so we quelch the fever, which is the body's main mechanism of burning the invader out. So now the invader gets to even have higher viral titers and continue to go bypassed by the immune system. You see the problem. So we've come full circle. And what is it about Omicron? Why do I think Omicron is a game changer? Like I said, I think it sheds light on the truth. If one were to only look, it is not a big deal generally speaking, to those who are healthy. It's even less of a deal than any of the other variants have been. And most of my friends who are very metabolically sound had nothing more than a day or two of of slight discomfort or a little bit of misery, and then they were done. Did they get some help with some of the pharmaceuticals? Yes, some of them did. Some of them didn't. Depends on what time period they had COVID. But I think that if society has not already identified that COVID is hitting preferentially like the bulk of the deaths and the bulk of the people who are ending up in hospital. If they want to use that game of, oh, if you're not vaccinated and you're glomming up the hospitals, well, actually it's a pretty specific type of health condition that is ending up in the hospital. And that's not a fair argument. I don't even think that argument should be made. If people end up in a hospital, they need hospital care, they should get care. That's called being a good doctor, right? But we know who is being most hit and impacted by this. And yes, there are a few outliers and we can call them the zebras. But for the most part, we know who's most being hit. And we know that the for the bulk of the population, otherwise not having a hard time with it, COVID in any form has been nothing more than a difficult cold for them. For some, it's been a more gnarly cold. It was a bit of a gnarly cold for me. It was a little fluey, coldy, like gnarly. It was, but it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen or done. It was the sickest my husband's ever been. Um, so again, it hits everybody differently for different reasons. But I think Omicron is really the game changer here because it's definitely shedding light on the fact that this is not a big deal for someone who's healthy. I do believe it is going to continue to impact those who are most susceptible and be a challenge for them. 
I continue, I think that is going to continue, especially because it's more transmissible, far, far more transmissible. Again, it's less virulent. Uh, they become kinder and gentler over time. Coronaviruses do this a little more slowly than influenza viruses. So I wasn't sure how fast this one would mutate into a kinder, gentler endemic situation. But in my opinion, this has been endemic from the start, meaning it's gotten around. It's never going away. I've been trying to say that. I got met with so much hate for that. Like it's never going away. Everybody's going to be exposed to it. Anyone who's hiding out thinking they're not going to be exposed to it is a fool. Everybody will be exposed to this eventually. It's just a matter of whether they even get sick from it. If they have great natural killer cells, they'll knock it out. You can go listen to the episode I did on this. I don't want to take too much time on it. Some people are not going to become sick at all. Some people are not going to have symptoms at all. That doesn't mean they're even carrying it around. Some people have low viral titers and mild symptoms like a headache or some joint pain, and they might be somewhat contagious. I do believe there are pre-symptomatic carriers. This asymptomatic thing that people want to argue about is really, to me, a matter of like, how's their immune system handling it? You can be walking around spreading this. I got it from asymptomatic carrier, very asymptomatic, right? So just know that this is going to be more transmissible and less virulent to a healthy person, but still potentially a concern for those who are, who have been most challenged by it. Those who have been most challenged by it and who are most susceptible are the ones who, like I said, a hundred times are not going to even have great protection from the vaccines. Interestingly, yesterday, the CEO of BioNTech, as in the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine, that's when you hear Pfizer, it's a Pfizer and BioNTech got together. It's a Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. Um, they also created the Corminati vaccine. I hope I'm saying that right. I never get that one right. That's not the one that's being used in the US, by the way. It, FDA approved Corminati. But Corminati is not the vaccine. When you hear people say, I got Pfizer, they didn't get that. They got a different one. Anyway, Pfizer-BioNTech, the CEO came out yesterday and says that the vaccine and its boosters are having no impact on Omicron and that they will have no impact on Omicron. I'll link that for you guys so you guys can see that with your own eyeballs. The CEO of BioNTech came out and said this. That says the jig is up right? The game is over. This did not work. This plan did not work. These vaccines were never, ever shown to stop transmission. I have no idea where that came from. I heard it out of the mouths of people who were like Fauci, the CDC. Um, I heard it from MSM, you know, mainstream media. I heard it from all of the liberal stations specifically, and it's straight up propaganda, it's a straight up propaganda lie. The Pfizer, the Moderna, those early studies, I have gone through them with a fine tooth comb. Not only are they was the data poorly uh, shared, and there's holes in it, but it never was shown to stop transmission ever. It was simply shown to help the end user avoid hospitalization, not even death, just hospitalization and severe illness. That's a whole other story. <laughs> we have known from the beginning that this doesn't stop transmission. Twitter just came out and said, if anybody mentions, this was like last week, if anyone mentions that it doesn't stop transmission, i.e. the truth, uh, their platforms will be removed. They'll be, they'll be deplatformed from that. They'll have their accounts taken away. And if you go, I'll, I'll link this page from the CDC. The CDC 
Dr. What is her name? Rowinski uh, Fauci came out and said months ago that viral titers were just as high, if not higher, in those who were fully vaccinated. They were just as able, if not more, able to spread it. It doesn't stop transmission. Everybody put your mask back on. Boom. And yet we still are hearing this narrative. And even in my own profession, people are saying, do it for the betterment of your patients, protect your patients. How the fuck is me getting vaccinated with a vaccine that doesn't stop transmission going to protect anybody? In fact, I actually think that makes you a potential super spreader. And some of this data is showing that. And so my response is, Is it ethical for a physician to be going around potentiating a blatant lie because they haven't been keeping up with the current literature, lying to their patients, telling them that the vaccine will protect them from transmission, and then the patient gets vaccinated, assuming they're protecting grandma, and they go spend time with grandma, and grandma gets sick and gets COVID, even though she's been fully vaccinated? Who's Who who does that lie on ethically? Is the ethical thing to do as a physician to be current on the literature? Or is it to be going along with public health measures and potentiating a lie? That's my question to my profession and to all physicians and healthcare workers out there who continue to want to tell people like me who I cannot get the vaccine. I actually have pre-existing health conditions that are legitimately concerning when it comes to this vaccine. And yet I'm told, do it for the greater good. That is a blatant lie. I also believe that these variants will likely cause issues more for the vaccinated than the non-vaccinated. I have several different mechanisms by which this can happen. I don't want to go into it here. We know what happened in the animal studies for SARS-CoV-1 vaccines. The animals died when their bodies were later challenged with a coronavirus. When they were re-exposed to the virus, they died. They got pulmonary edema. Uh, They basically had a very, they had pathogenic priming. They had a bad outcome. And we didn't bother to tell the humans any of this when we released this globally in a massive way. I think we're seeing some pathogenic priming and some antibody dependent enhancement already. Uh, I don't, again, I don't want to go into this in this episode because that's a long conversation. I think what we're going to see is that this becomes a pandemic of the vaccinated and that the unvaccinated, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, of mostly of the vaccinated and then the unvaccinated will likely handle this virus quite easily because it's gotten a lot kinder and gentler, except those who've always been the most susceptible. And that's another thing I've said from day one, the most susceptible will remain the most susceptible. I think the people who were uh, at risk of dying in early 2020 are still at risk of dying. And I hope less I hope I'm not right, but I think that if you walk into this a hot mess of health, your potential of it being a hot mess of inflammation burning through your body is very high. And then there's this whole concept of reverse transcriptase, which nobody seems to want to talk about. And I'll post a study. We have a study on SARS-CoV-2 since this pandemic started. I can't remember if it was 2020 or 2021. And they show that reverse transcriptase, which is basically an enzyme that takes RNA and turns it back into DNA. It integrates it back into your DNA inside your nucleus. We have a study showing that after exposure to the virus, that reverse transcriptase kicks in and you end up with viral genome inside your, your genome. We know this with other viruses. We walk around with viral DNA integrated into our DNA or viral RNA integrated into our DNA. So why is no one discussing this possibility occurring for the vaccine? That part has confused me. The one 
time I saw anyone argue it, they said, well, there's not reverse transcriptase in the vaccine. And I'm like, but couldn't there be in your body? <laughs> and couldn't that, that be a real potential? If we have proof that the virus itself is ending up back integrated into humans' DNA after they've fought off the virus, then isn't there a potential with the vaccine as well? It's just something I think, it's a hypothesis. Again, these are all my ideas. Some of this has been proven. Some of this is just me talking based on how viruses work. There's no one place I can send you to be like, here's virology 101 all around coronaviruses. So in the end, I do believe that one's overall health and vitality will ultimately be the only thing protecting them from this intruder or any other intruder, variants or not, coronaviruses, influenza, lots of people die from the flu every year, guys. Nobody wants to talk about that. We have the studies on natural immunity at this point. It is clearly superior and long lasting. We know what the virus is doing. I'm sorry, the vaccine is doing. It's very limited antibody response is not working to Omicron. I don't care how many times they tell you to get boosted, go look at the studies. And yet the spin doctors keep spinning the propaganda and lies. And then the real doctors keep potentiating the lies, which concerns me. So that's where we're at. I think this is going to shift into a pandemic of the vaccinated in short order. I don't know if that's going to happen throughout the rest of this winter or if we're going to see it in years to come. I think those of us with natural immunity or unaltered immune responses should be just fine if this virus continues to do what viruses do, which is become a bit kinder and gentler. Um, unless someone is in the high risk category, and since most Americans are either obese or overweight and 88% are metabolically unhealthy, we still have a major problem. And until people take their own health into their own hands and stop being a statistic and stop being such a viable host, we will continue to live in a place where fear reigns supreme and people continue to be terrified of a virus that at this point doesn't seem to be a huge risk. So that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.